Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. So Matthew chapter 2, the wise men, I believe we find in this text, this context, the meaning of Christianity. And by the way, I think it's important when you read the Bible, you don't just read one verse, that you have to look at the context. I heard a preacher one time say that a text outside of a context, you take it out of the context, all you're left with is a con. And so you got to make sure that the, the con has a text. Can I get an amen? And so, if you got to Bible today, Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to read a few verses starting today in verse 1. And then I'm going to fast forward to verse 9. Verse 1 and verse 2 says this. Now after after Jesus was born. Someone say after. Last week we discussed why the wise men narrative is is not coming when Jesus was born the exact night. They probably showed up when Jesus was 1 to 3 years old, scholars tell us. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men. Someone say it with me. Wise men. Your translation might say Magi. Uh, These guys came from the east, or Magi, they came from the east to Jerusalem saying, where, where is he? What did the wise men say? Come on, help me out, Ocean Church. What did they say? They said, where is he? That's their question. Who has been born king of the Jews, for we have seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. We come to adore, to honor, to esteem God. This is why they came. But their question was, where is he? Let's fast forward to verse 9. And they talked to the king. When they heard the king, they departed and left that place. And behold, they followed the star, which they had seen in the east. It went before them until it stood over where the young child, the young, not baby, he was a child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the... Not the, not the barn or the cave. They came into the, again, this is not the birth of Jesus, right after the birth of Jesus. They saw the young child. Matthew wants to make a point. And, and they saw the young child. Um, they came in and with Mary's mother and fell down and worshiped him. When they had opened up their treasuries, this is what we want to focus on today. They opened up their treasuries and they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Who's got two out of those three in your Christmas list this year? We'll keep going. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return. Being divinely warned, divinely warned. Your translation might say, God told them to go another route. Being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod. They departed, watch this, for their own country. Their own country, another way. Another way. Another way, their own country, another way. I want to talk to you today on the subject title, Another Way. Another Way. Let's pray, and we're going to ask God to bless this Sunday. Is that all right? All right. God, I just thank you so much for what you're doing in Oceans Church. We thank you, God, that you've given us a vision, Lord, that, that, that we're going to be a church, Lord, with, with campuses at every major ocean in the world. I thank you that we're small right now, we're starting right now, we're early right now, we're 14 weeks old, but we know, God, that you have great things in store for this community. 
We look around and we see amazing people that you're drawing from all over this region. And I ask you today that we wouldn't just play church, we wouldn't just go through the motions, but it's our heart's desire that we would hear your voice, we would know your presence, and we would leave this place convinced that, God, you're real, that you love us, and you have good days in store for us. We love you, God. We pray you bless the Christmas season, the next couple weeks. God, I just thank you that you continue to help the Lakers. In Jesus' name. Come on, if you believe it, church, say amen. Amen, amen, amen. So good. I, uh, I mentioned to you that I, I uh, was flying, so I got on a plane, and I flew to Houston on Monday morning. How many of you guys have ever been rerouted? Three of you have been rerouted. Who's been rerouted? Who's ever experienced a delayed flight? Come on, half the church. Who, who's ever flown divided airlines? I mean, United Airlines. I'm a Christian, so I fly Delta usually. Uh, but I wasn't, I wasn't paying for this trip. Uh, Compassion actually covered my trip to go, and we're going to do a Compassion Sunday in January or February. But uh, I was able to travel, but they bought my plane tickets, unfortunately, and they, they actually... Uh, they got it through United Airlines. So I've, I've always had bad experiences when I fly United. If you work for United, I'm going to pray for you. God blessing. Come on over your life. But in my particular situation, just had a flew to Houston and my flight was supposed to leave at six or five and seven 30 came and there was no, no news. And finally they said it's been postponed until tomorrow. And so I'm like, dear Lord, I'm, what do I do? The trip was already very short. I was only going to be in Columbia for two full days. And so they said, Mark, you can turn around and go back. Uh, to Orange County, you tried, uh, or we can fly to Miami right now and hang out in Miami for two hours and then get on a f- another flight at 12 and land in Bogota at 6 and then meet up with a team at 6 and then get on another plane in Bogota and fly to another place that starts with an M <laughs> and, and then land in the M city and then spend, and then spend the entire day going you know, all, over the, all over the region and, but you won't sleep. You'll, you, you won't, you'll miss a night's sleep, and you're not flying first class, so you're going to be, you know. Can we, just, can we establish this, too? I've I got to get this out. Is the position upright in the seat safer than the reclined position here? Safe? Deadly. Safe? Deadly. Why do the stewardess make you put your chair up before you land or before you take off? Is this really going to save... And I'm sorry, I had to get that out. Um, but we flew, you know, the whole flight right there. And uh, we, we got to Bogota. And uh, so anyways, we ended up going. But I had to fly to Bogota another way. This morning, we didn't get the tent we thought we were going to get. We had to get four other people involved. And three of them bailed out. But we got the tent. But we got it a... And I believe that in life, it's very common that you go through things and you experience things. And many, I heard a really smart philosopher one time say that life is a lot less, it's a lot less like getting on a, on a train that takes you from the stop to your destination. And it's much more like being in an ocean on a sailboat that you wake up every day, you have to gauge the winds and the currents and set your sail accordingly to get you to your desired destination. And I believe that in life, there's many things that we can't control. They're outside of our control. Some of you are experiencing these right now. They're outside of your control. And I believe that every human being has this in common, that there's, there's pain, there's trials, there's adversity, there's challenges. And what I'm convinced of is that these pains, trials, adversities, and challenges actually prepare us. God does something in us on the way that gets us ready for when we arrive. I believe that. God does things inside of us on the way that prepare us for what we experience when we arrive. 
I heard it said that we don't choose what we go through in life, but we do choose how we go through it. God God chooses what we go through. We decide our attitude and our perspective while we go through it. And I believe the wise men teach us a lot of great, powerful truths. And if I can look at this from like, again, 36,000 feet, I believe that what we find here in the story in Matthew 2 of these wise men, these educated, affluent men from the east, from Arabia, traveling on their, their Persian horses and getting to, uh, getting to this, this, this little context where Jesus is in this house as a little child, and, you know, scholars tell us there's probably more than three wise men, and there is probably more than three gifts, but what we do know is that these three gifts are listed. And I believe this morning, as I'm sharing this with you, that, that the context of Christmas and Christianity are linked. They're synced. And I actually believe that what we find here in Matthew 2 is actually a microcosm picture of what the, Christ, the Christian narrative is. What do you mean? I believe it's really wrapped up in three things. Number one, these guys had expectancy. I talked about that last week. They traveled 800 miles, probably nine, maybe nine months, eight months, six months to see Jesus. But I want to I point out to you is, is they had expectancy, but when they got close, they asked, the, or before they left, they asked the king, where is Jesus? Where is he? I believe that the story of your, your spiritual journey starts with this question, where is God? Where is he? I believe the hardest question to answer in life for many of you is like, all right, it's not what am I going to do or who am I going to marry? It's, is God real? And if he is, who is he? I actually believe that every one of us has something in common. We, we all wonder about origins. Where did I come from? We all wonder about meaning. Is there a purpose of life? We all wonder about morality. What's right? What's wrong? And we all wonder about uh, destination. What happens when I die? And I believe in this story, we start off by seeing these wise men say, where is, where is Jesus? Where is he? And I actually believe this, that this is, this is the story. So why, why would I come to church or why would I continue to come back to God or read my Bible or pray or why would I be a part of a faith community? Why would I do that? And I believe that the wise men teach us why we should want to experience God more than one time. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but these wise men, the Bible says, it doesn't tell us that they ever encountered Jesus again after this day. They may have only had one encounter with God their entire life. But I began to read this story like I've never seen it before. And what I found is, is they did some things in this story that I believe is true of us. Is they started with, where is God? And wherever he is, is where I'm going to get. And I want to commend you today that you're here today and you're like, you know what? I don't know why I'm sitting in a hot tent listening to some young, good-looking preacher. Come on. I got to tell the truth. I got the microphone. Why am I here today? And I want to let you know that you're here because I, I think there's something inside you that says there's something in this, this context that helps me connect with the God that made me. Where is he? And I believe the second most powerful thing that we can do once we establish where he is, is do what the wise men did, which I talked about last week. They made up their mind they were going to worship him. And they worshiped him. They felt their, they fell. They were expressive. We talked about this last week. But I want to talk to you that they weren't just expressive and they weren't just expectant, they were actually extravagant. And I want to encourage you that we are going to be a community that doesn't just worship God with some of our hearts, but we're going to be extravagant with our love towards God. We're going to be, come on, can I I get a real hand clap? We're going to be extravagant with our love towards God and our love towards people. The Bible is full of extravagant stories that they gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
I'll, I'll explain what those are, but I want you to know that, that the Bible is, is literally full of stories of people bringing their best to God. I think the tragedy in America today is, is that we all bring, a lot of people bring something to God, but it's not their best. And I believe in order to receive God's best, we have to first bring our. The Bible says we draw near to God and God draws near to. I think that there's something about us coming to God saying, God, I give you my very, very best that activates God's best for us. So what are you saying? They, throughout the Bible, we see stories of David. You know when David started storing up supplies for the temple? Today's currency, he would have stored $21 billion worth of supplies to build the original temple. You look at Solomon. The day he got inaugurated as king, he was a young boy. I think he was 12 years old. And most kings, they sacrificed one bull. They sacrificed one, you know, one, one animal. He could have sacrificed 10 and been generous. He could have sacrificed 100 and been a little bit ridiculous. But you know what he did that day? He sacrificed 1,000 animals. He gave God an extravagant sacrifice. And notice that Solomon didn't get God coming to him like a genie saying, anything you want, young man, I'll give it to you. Remember that story? Anything you want, I'll give it to you. And Solomon asked God for wisdom. Listen to me. The dream came to Solomon after he sacrificed extravagantly. We keep reading throughout the Bible, there's a woman that brought a perfume that was worth an entire year's salary. Can, can you imagine Orange County perfume, 200 grand? That's an expensive bottle of Gucci. Come on, somebody. This, this lady brings an expensive, costly, and extravagant offering and pours it out on Jesus. The widow brings two mites, extravagant offering to honor God. Abraham gives his only beloved son an extravagant offering to God. God tells him to stop, doesn't go through with it. But how many know that even God himself gave, gave us an extravagant offering? And the fact that he didn't give us second best, third best, fourth best, he gave us his own son. You see, God is an extravagant giver. That's why Sports Center's favorite verse, John three sixteen, says, for God so loved the world that he, you know that God is a giver? And I want to show you today that these guys, they didn't just give any random gifts. They gave three very specific gifts. First of all, they gave gold. Gold was a gift for kings. And these guys came expectant to worship God, but they said, we're not going to just show up and give you an ordinary offering. We're going to honor you like the king that you are. And I believe many people show up to church and we, we say, we're, we're here, but we're, not honor, we're honoring God as a religious figurehead, but not as the king of our life. And I believe that throughout the Bible, we see there's kings, priests, and prophets, right? right? Old Testament's full of it. It's, it's, it's all throughout the scripture. There's judges, but there was kings, priests, and prophets. And these guys, first of all, they gave Jesus gold because he was their king. You know what kings did in the ancient world? Kings represented the people. So much so that when a king went to battle, if the king, went, if the king won, what was true of the king was true of the people. You know what's funny? It's actually, it's, it's wired into our humanity. That's why we all love sports. You ever notice that you're sitting on your, your couch yelling at, at professional athletes to do better? Which I think is funny, by the way. That we're like, you couldn't catch that as you like eat your Cheetos. It's like, dude, you couldn't, you couldn't go on the field. And we're critiquing these athletes. You know what's funny? A bunch of strangers with uniforms on, we lose our minds over, I'm going to go to a game today actually, and we lose our minds over these athletes that have uniforms on that we don't know because they're our team. They're my team. And when they experience victory, 
I experience victory. Do you know that God made us this way? Why? Because in the ancient world, what was true of your king was true of you. That's why when, date, when Goliath was defeated, all the Philistines were defeated. Because when the giant and the king was, was taken, so was the rest of the military. And I want you to know today that when we worship God, we don't just worship him as a good person. We worship him as the king that has victory. And if he has victory over sickness, over disease, over depression, over discouragement, come on, if he has, if he has victory, what's true of Jesus is true of us. Here's gold. They said, I'm not going to just give you gold as our king. I'm going to give you, secondly, I'm going to give you frankincense. And frankincense was, uh, was a depiction of, of, uh, of this. It was, a, it was an incense. It was something that was burned. And they did these frankincense because frankincense were representative of, of what, uh, frankincense were given, excuse me, myrrh, frankincense, and uh, all of these things were given. I'm trying to find my notes here. There it is. Uh, because this is what was given to priests. Uh, priest is priest would burn frankincense. There it is. Can you can you Paul? Can I can you help me? A preacher preach this morning. I'm jet lagged. I'm jet lagged. It's my birthday yesterday. God bless you. Thank you. My presence this this year is just to be. Come on, patient with me. Uh, but they gave frankincense because I believe that these wise men knew that God wasn't just a king. He was also their their priest. You know, priests did. They did two things in the Bible. They did. They educated people out of the Word of God. So they wanted people not to be ignorant of what, who God was and what God said. So they educated people through teaching the word of God. But the second thing that priests would do is priests would pray for the people. And that's why in Hebrews, the whole theme of Hebrews is that Jesus is our high priest. I want you to know today, these, these wise men realize that not only is he a victorious king that can win, win battles for us, but he's actually, he's, I'm going to give him this frankincense because it represents literally, it represents the fact that he is our high priest that will educate us on who God is. That's why Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what God looks like, look at the Son. And I believe that when you know who Jesus is, you'll know who God the Father is. He is our high priest. He sits at the right hand of the Father, it says, and he continually, perpetually prays for us by name. That's crazy. Do you know that right now, you have a God that's defending you in heaven, praying on your behalf. You think that God only cares about you when you're singing to him on Sundays. He's praying for you all week. This is what high priests do is they pray on the behalf of the people. I believe that great pastors aren't just people that get up behind a, a, a pulpit and preach. Is My strength doesn't come from what I do here on Sundays. It's what I do representing you guys during the week like this. I believe it's praying to God for the people that you lead. That's where power, covering, and authority lies. These wise men go, look, he's not just an overcoming king. He is a high priest that's going to teach us who God is and is literally going to pray for us. And thirdly, not only did they, they have frankincense, there was myrrh. And myrrh was, again, uh, myrrh was used for burial. It was used for burial. They, they, they would, this was a symbolic offering, literally, that they were saying that this, this king one day, he's going to sacrifice his body. And when he sacrifices his life, he's a baby right now. But one day, prophetically, this kid is going to die on the behalf of all of humanity. And this prophetic gesture is they gave three things, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I believe that they wanted us to know when you worship God, we see him in three lights. We see him as our king that's victorious. We see him as our priest that is our prayer covering and the God that educates us. And number three, we see him as our prophet. And the prophet is the one that would tell you what the word of God is now. And what God is going to say in the future. 
prophets were seers. Prophets could see what God was gonna do in the future one day. I believe that what, what happens when you really connect with God is you experience the victory that comes from his presence. You experience the peace that comes from his, his prayerful atmosphere. And you experience the fact that God has a word for me today. Listen to me. They had one encounter with God. But I want you to know that this one encounter, literally, I believe, is a microcosm picture of what we should expect from God every time we meet with him. When I meet with him, I'm going to honor him as my king. I'm going to honor him as the person that prays for me and educates me. And I'm going to honor him as the God that can actually speak to me direction, wisdom, and clarity. What I want you to know is before they worship God, write this down. Before they worship God, they had to ask other people where Jesus was. But after they worship God in verse 12, you know what happened? Is God spoke to them divinely in a dream. Do you know that before we worship God, we have to find out who God is from other people? But when you connect with God for yourself, listen to me, if I could say one thing all all over this this tent today, I would tell you this, no one else can get close to God for you. And I'll say something a little bit more audacious, that you are the only one hindering how close you are to God. God doesn't favor any one of us more than anybody else. You could say this way, you determine how close you get to Jesus. And I got good news for you today, you can get as close to him as you want to be. These wise men say, you know what, I I don't know where he is, but they started worshiping him, and they gave him their very best, and they gave him an extravagant offering. Scholars tell us that his ministry was funded by women, but it was probably also funded by the gifts that were given to him when he was a child by the wise men. How does does a carpenter take off three years, travel the world, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, unless he had financial resources? said that women sponsored him, but I actually believe that much of his resources came from gifts that were given by men that only had one encounter with him. I want to say this, and just kind of bring this full circle here, is the the last verse we read says that they actually came and they worshiped, and it says, then after they worshiped God and gave extravagantly, they were divinely warned. I believe if all church and all Christianity was supposed to do was to connect with God and to worship him, this story would have read something like this. They brought their gifts, they worshiped him, and then they returned to Herod, and Herod killed him and kept looking for the child. Notice that God cared enough about these three wise men that he didn't let them return to a place they were going to get injured. I, wanna, I, wanna, I think we forget this. We don't ever see this before. Watch the fact that God warned them in a dream, and watch what it says. This really stood out to me. That God, after they worshipped him, God warned them, which means to direct, directed them in a dream that they should not return because they get killed. But God told them that they should depart to their own country another way. If I could say, this is my thesis this morning. I believe that Christianity is encountering God. And and when you encounter him, when you worship him, it impacts you in such a profound way that God encounters are not just for you. They're actually for your country. Do you know what I believe? I believe that these Middle Eastern men were the first people to start telling the narrative story of who God was. Hundreds of years, you know, 50, uh, 90, 100 years after this passage, we know that the early apostles would travel to the Middle East and begin to preach the gospel. I believe that it's the wise men that probably sowed the original seeds of the, of the God of, called Jehovah. I actually believe this, that these wise men, can you imagine traveling for nine months 
encountering a child that literally had the power of creation. Stars directed us to the child. We gave our very best offering, and when we did, we thought we were going to go back the way we came. But you'll never leave God's presence going back the same way. You'll always leave God's presence thinking, seeing life another way. You can't encounter him and leave the same way. You always have to leave going another way. But I believe this, that God encounters are always attached to people. They're always attached to people. What are you saying? I actually believe this, that the narrative was bigger than just giving gifts to a child. It was encountering God in such a real way that we'd go back to our countries telling a story about Jesus the rest of our life. I actually believe this. It's like, it's like the story of the crazy man, right? It says that no one could bind him. Jesus cast out thousands of evil spirits. And what, what does it say? It says that the guy who was formerly demon-possessed said, let me go with you. And Jesus said, no, you can't go with me. Instead, go back to your own country. Decapolis means several cities. And tell the people in your cities the great things that God has done for you. You know what I believe at the end of the day? The reason why God wants to encounter us is, is twofold. He loves us, but he loves the people that aren't here. I'm going to say it again so we can catch this. The reason why God will encounter you today and every Sunday and every time you get with God the rest of your life is because he not only loves you, he loves everybody in your country. Your country represents your sphere, your job. Your, your, your family, your coworkers, your teammates, your colleagues. Are you following me? God cares so much about them that he would let you be exposed to the presence of God. These wise men encountered Jesus and they, listen, I want you to know this. Whenever you worship God and whenever you give to God, you never give more than you receive. You always leave. When, I'm just telling you, when you have a real encounter with God, you'll always leave with more than you came with. And you'll always leave with more peace, more joy. And I don't care if you gave financially, sacrificially, your time, your talent. When you give God your best, you'll always leave back to your, your, your mission field. And that's what I realized here is I went to Columbia this weekend. And I got to go to these, these really impoverished areas. And I can't even begin to express to you how disturbing it is to know that half the world's population lives in poverty. And of half the world's population, this, by the way, if you don't know this, if you make more than $10 a day, you're wealthy. The average household income or the average uh, wage in most of these countries is $2.50 a day. Uh, missionary in the last trip that I didn't go on, uh, they were telling me about, gave a little kid $100, which would be like three years wages in, in, in this country. And they had a mob of people rush and try to overtake them in their vehicle, and they broke all the windows out because people had never seen that kind of money before. $100 was like winning the lottery. And this, this village I went to, we took a bus several hours out, and we went to this little village. There was a church, and, and we got to do home visits. And so we got to go to the house of this single mom, a sweet lady. She had five little kids, and uh, two years old was the youngest. Uh, 13 years old was the oldest. And she looked at her little her little. Uh, her little hut, it was literally just wooden walls, a tin roof, dirt floors. And it's about the size of your bedroom, maybe a guest bedroom. And then outside had a covered patio the size of, probably the same size of a, of, a, of a bedroom. And she had all of her dishes and like an ice chest out here, outside. Uh, just had water, you know, everything was old, dilapidated. And there's a fire pit that you would make at a campsite with pots and pans that she would cook her kids' food. 
And then inside the one bedroom, there was like a bed where all five of them would sleep on. And, uh, and then just had some furniture and stuff, but dirt floors. The littlest child's two, she can't walk. She has some sort of paralysis. And I, I'm just telling, I'm not trying to, to, to make it too, too real in here today, but I want you to know that I believe this with all my heart, that me knowing Jesus, me connecting with God, was never just to benefit me. I believe every time I experience him and I know him, it's, it's for the grander narrative of creation that God wants me to be aware of helping other people in other parts of not only our city, but the world. I believe these wise men show us that we encounter God. Three things happen is we expect. We, we not only expect God we, uh, where we worship him, we, we expect him. And then after we, we have an expectation with God, we worship him. And I believe that where he's worshipped, that's where God begins to warn us. Those are the three things that happen here. Where is he? Worship. And then it says the wise men were warned. And I believe that, you know what happens when you connect with God is God will begin to warn you. What do you mean warn? I mean that God loves you enough to direct you where you're supposed to go, to correct you where you need to be corrected, and inspire you where you're getting ready to quit. I thought about this. Why in the world would I go to church more than one time? I shared this before, but I believe this. I heard a, a person one time write, why, why should I go to church? I don't remember the messages. Why should I take notes? I don't remember what the preacher said last week. I don't remember the message from three weeks ago. I don't remember the Christmas message from last year. Why should I go to church? I always forget. And the next day, that was published in a, in a, 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 a newspaper, you know, about 10 years ago. The following Sunday, a Christian writer responded to that article saying, I don't know why I eat food. I don't remember what I ate last Sunday. I can't remember what, what was on the menu last Christmas Eve. I can't even remember what breakfast was yesterday. But what I do know, regardless if I remember or not, I was nourished. This is what the presence of God does, is it nourishes us. God begins to warn us. People say, I don't like going to church, man, because I feel uncomfortable. The band can come up. I'm almost finished. I feel uncomfortable. And I, 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 my response to that statement is, I, I get that. But I believe this, that uh, I think discomfort is good sometimes. I think it's especially good if you're trying to get in shape. Especially January 1st, when you buy your membership to the gym. People say, I don't know, man, I go to church, I feel uncomfortable. I'm not trying to say you should feel condemned. But I think there's something good when God shows up that he begins to warn us. You know, if you keep going the way you're going, you're going to lose your marriage. You know, if you keep staying married to your job, your wife's going to leave you. You know, if you don't spend time with your kids, society's going to raise them. You know what? If you don't start honoring people around you, you're going to lose those friendships. You know what? If you don't, are you hearing me today? God, God starts giving you these like cues. And I'll be honest, man. Some, some of my favorite times of peace have been in services like this. But some of the most uncomfortable moments of my life have simultaneously been in atmospheres like this. You ever had God tell you something so direct? that you thought it was the devil. I remember a missionary coming to our church in Idaho and I probably had like $80 to my name. And God said, I want you to give that $80 to this missionary. And I was like, get behind me, Satan. I know the voice of the snake. But you know what I've learned is that Satan never tells us to be more generous. God does. Satan never tells us to give up ourselves in a way that helps other people. God does. And I believe some of you are here today and you're like, you know what? I feel uncomfortable sometimes because I feel when I come to church, there's peace, 
but I feel like there's also God kind of challenging areas of my mind and my heart. This is the narrative of these wise men. This is the Christian narrative. We come expecting, we come worshiping, and when we connect with God, he begins to warn us. He begins to tell us, hey, if you go back the same way you came, you're going to mess yourself up. You can't go back to your old life the same way after you encounter God. I can't go back to this week the same way I was before I met with God this Sunday. Whenever you connect with God, you'll go back to your own country another way. I don't think it was just the route that was different. I think they were different. And I can tell you this about Oceans Church, that we are in a community that connects with God. We might go back to our same jobs, our same spouses, our same kids, and our same life, but we will not go back after encountering His presence the same way. God will change your attitude. He'll change your perspective. He'll change... Are you hearing me today? This is our dream. That His presence will be so well known to us. I don't know about you, man, but good trainers, they know what you want to get. And they'll push you until you get it. And I believe that a good God loves you so much that He wants you to have a good marriage. He wants you to be debt-free. He wants you to be in a good place with your children that they love you. I don't want to be famous outside in society. I want to be famous in my house. I want the people that know me the best to love me the most. And I think in society today, we get it backwards. We want to impress strangers, but we want to be tolerated by our loved ones. I don't want that. I don't want that for you. I want people that know you the best to respect you the most. How do we do this? I'm going to honor Jesus. I'm going to invite his presence. And when I expect to meet with him, I'm going to give him an extravagant offering. You're my king. You're the one that gives me victory. You're my pastor. You're my priest. You're the one that prays for me and teaches me. And you're my prophet. You're the one that gives me foresight of what's coming. And you're the one that gives me the word that I need today to be who I'm supposed to be when I go back to my own country. I'll go back to my job this week, but I need to go back another way. I'm going to go back to my marriage this afternoon, but I need to go back, come on, another way. Divorce is rampant in this county. Depression is rampant in this county. And I want you to know that we have a solution in Oceans Church. His name is Jesus. He's a king that can overcome. He's a pastor that can pray for you. And he's a priest that can give you a word. Come on. That's going to lead you into where you're supposed to be. Would you stand to your feet? Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.
Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.